Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Self-healing materials sound like science fiction, but material scientists are making them science fact. So what exactly makes a material self-healing? How does the material get the ability to stitch itself back together? And are there limits to it? How do we make that process in everyday objects? And how can we test to see if that self-healing property is really any good? This week we find out about the material science of self-healing materials. Now if you've had a phone casing, or maybe a set of keys, or might be even just your favourite coffee cup, occasionally they'll get scratched and damaged. And over time, those cracks can build up and eventually it might lead to your phone case snapping in half, your cup spouting a leak, or maybe your belt buckles snapping off. In the case of a large system, like a plane, well, worrying about fatigue and cracks is incredibly important to make sure that that plane doesn't fall out of the sky. And a number of the fields of particular material scientists are keen to make sure that materials after long periods of exposure to the environment, to weather, to events and impacts, the material can be rigid, sturdy, and to some extent resilient enough to cope with the rough and tumbles of just existing. Now, if you're on your phone casing, you could be particularly harsh on it. It could get dropped, it could get dragged along a surface that might leave marks or cracks, you name it. And material scientists really want to work on ways to make materials more resilient, and one of the ways you can do that is by making the material self-healing. Now, in focusing on phone casing a little bit, because they're made often of plastics and rubbers. And out of all of the materials that we can make self-healing, polymers, which are the ingredients to make up those things, are actually one of the more easier ones that we can work with. Whilst it is possible to make things like ceramics, concrete, or fiber-reinforced materials self-healing, the most easy one to target is, of course, plastics. But when we say self-healing, what exactly do we mean? Does it mean that the if I snap my phone case in half, then it will bend itself back together and reform with no visible seam line? Well, unfortunately, if it could do that, that would be amazing. But you have to remember, there are limitations to what we talk about when we say self-healing. So there are a couple of different methods for self-healing, and all of them use different approaches depending on the type of forces they want to have, whether or not the process is triggered by an internal or an external factor, and what it uses to try and recover or mend the particular scratch, mark, or crack site. Now, the definition for self-healing material is really any artificial or synthetically created substance that has the ability to automatically, in the event of damage, repair itself without external diagnosis of the problem or human intervention. So this autonomous self-healing means, for example, in the really extreme case, that the process can trigger without any human intervention at all. They could perhaps react to an external stimulus like light or temperature change to initiate the healing process, but not someone pressing or indicating or making some method of notifying, so to speak, the material that it has a problem in a certain area. So that's what we mean when we say self-healing, and there are a number of different ways to try and achieve that. Now, in the case of polymers, in general, though there are different categories of whether or not the process is intrinsic or extrinsic, they mostly follow the same process. It's just what steps are actually used or tools as part of that process varies depending on the mechanism. 
but the process itself is roughly three steps, and it's very, very similar to what biological systems like your skin uses. In the event of damage or a scratch or a mark or a crack developing, the first response is to trigger or actuate, and basically what that does is happens immediately after the damage is sustained. And in some mechanisms, this releases something. In other mechanisms, this does something different. The second response is the transport of materials to repair or feel that crack to the affected area. Again, this all happens very, very, very quickly. We're talking rapid response here. And the third response is the actual chemical repair process, where with that material that has been transported to the damage site begins to get underway, healing that mechanism over. If you have those three things, then you have a self-healing material. And the way in which it does that healing, which type of way identifies the mechanism, the actuation or the trigger, how it actually transports and what it transports to the particular site, and how that bonds and chemically repairs itself, the differences in those processes outlines the varying different ways you can end up with a self-healing material. Now, one of the broad categories is intrinsic polymer-based systems. And in these, the material itself is inherently able to restore its integrity autonomously, but generally with some kind of external trigger. Maybe it's thermal, maybe it's heat, maybe it's thermal stress in a concentration area like bending, or it could be electrical or photostimulation. But amongst those, most common type is the Dales-Alder mechanism. Now, the extrinsic polymer-based materials, when they undertake self-healing, they don't rely on the bonds themselves reforming in the material, like in intrinsic methods. They often embed microcapsules or vascular micro-networks inside the material. They contain chemicals that will be transported to the crack or damage area in the event of a scratch or a crack occurring, and then that chemical releases and stitches back together the material. And that is pretty interesting. Like that's an example of microcapsule healing. So let's say I have a big material matrix and inside it, I embed all these little microcapsules. We're not talking like tablets inside your material. I'm talking a lot, lot smaller than that. However, when these capsules get ruptured as a crack spreads across the material, they release what's inside them. And that is a specific chemical which can act as a catalyst or a trigger to start stitching back together that polymer. And that's a pretty interesting mechanism. So now that we understand a little bit about self-healing materials, we've got to find out about some latest research into ways of making new types of self-healing materials. Ones that don't rely on releasing from microcapsules a special chemical agent to remelt or reform the material. And ones that don't rely on really strong and powerful bonds. In fact, these new methods rely on one of the most simple and obvious type of bonds that are around us every day. One that you're pretty much familiar with if you've ever seen, like a gecko, walk up a wall. Yes, we're going to be talking a bit, Matt, the van der Waals force, and how this seemingly weak and not very important piece of fundamental physics can actually help stitch back together a very complicated material. find out about the research of Professor Marek Urban and his team at Clemson University. And their findings have just been published in the latest edition of the journal Science, which is a pretty big deal, especially in the world 
of scientific papers. Professor Urban and the team are focusing on a way to make self-healing materials, but not ones that are very, very complicated or expensive or difficult to produce. Because all of the mechanisms we've just spoken about for self-healing materials, well, yes, we can have them happen, but actually making a large set of materials that are wildly commercially available and usable in most modern manufacturing processes is actually really expensive and difficult. And that's why your phone case right now is not self-healing. taken by Professor Urban and his team is to really find a way to produce polymers that have self-healing properties in a way that can be done at an industrial scale, whilst not being too commercially expensive. And the basis for this has been to look at the interactions between copolymers, which he likens to spaghetti strands with a whole bunch of brushes along the side. Now, for those who want a little bit of extra detail, this is following the intrinsic approach to self-healing, giving the material itself an innate ability to have self-healing responses that doesn't rely on embedded capsules or some kind of stimulant. Now, the problem is most intrinsic material properties, they normally rely on really, really strong bonds that go into making up polymers. These are your ionic and covalent bonds. The interactions between empty and spare slots of electrons inside molecules. The interaction between these electrons form different types of bonds depending on the type of structure and material involved, and these are incredibly strong and powerful. But that's that makes them very difficult to then break down. If you want to now reform the bonds in that material, you need to inject enough energy or provide a catalyst to trigger a response to actually get that to now melt and reform itself. So the strength of covalent ionic bonds is amazing, but the difficulty in applying them to self-healing, getting them to re-trigger, makes them expensive. Not only from the chemical actual industrial production side, but from the energy side of actually getting it to happen. So instead of focusing on that, Professor Urban and his team looked at another force that is often inside a lot of these materials, but overlooked, and that's Van der Waals force, the weakest of all types of bonds. Now, Van der Waals force is basically the interaction between atoms or molecules and their propensity to repel or, once they get close enough, start attracting each other and holding them together. But incredibly weakly. It's not like a strong ionic or covalent bond which really locks together that that interaction. This is more like just being gradually attracted and clumping up. So it's present in a lot of pretty much all interactions between molecules and atoms, but it doesn't normally contribute an awful lot to the process. But if you have enough surface area of contact and enough little strands and fiber coming off those fibers, then that gives you a lot of surface area interaction between material. And that's incredibly important because now instead of imagining two big clumps slightly being pulled together, you have now this big, messy, interconnected ball of wire or spaghetti in this case, with all these little brushes sticking off it. Now you have a lot of different areas that can all exhibit the same slight attraction to each other, which greatly magnifies the effect. So the more little spurs and strands that you have on them, the the more force of Van der Waals force you actually get acting on the material. And the longer this spaghetti curtain get, it gets more and more complicatedly tangled up, which means it has more and more interlocking forces, making it harder and harder to pull apart. 
But if you do pull apart and separate it, let's say through mechanical separation, like making a crack, gradually it will just start to drift back together, become more jumbled, and then lock, thus giving it some self-healing properties. So, Professor Urban and his teams found that, well, even though Van der Waals force can be weak, given the right set of circumstances and making sure they're oriented in the right directions, they can actually start to bring themselves back together, making the material, giving it the intrinsic ability to have self-healing properties without requiring a really substantive trigger or process that gets used up. So that's interesting and very much useful to know that you can design a material to have this kind of property but it still doesn't leave how you mass produce them. Now, the interesting part about Professor Marek's research is they didn't invent complicated or fancy new materials to do this process. They used what are very regularly available, inexpensive commodities, types of polymers that are found in lots of things from paints to plastics and coatings. So they're already being produced in a commercial and industrial setting. So whilst the mechanism for forming and giving the self-healing properties may need special refinement or actual production, not just in a lab, but in a big factory setting, the actual production of the raw material itself is already there. So yes, you may have to make and develop a new process, which you know would take maybe six to 12 months to do, but you already have the ability to produce hundreds and hundreds of gallons of this material anyway, you just need to do a little bit extra processing on top now to actually get it that self-healing properties. So this is very useful because now you're not relying on specialist materials that are expensive and you need to build a whole new plastics factory to make. You can use existing factories. You just might need to add an extra line on the end to give this refinement to make these paints or maybe these plastics self-healing properties in them. So this is incredibly interesting work and shows how using a fundamental force like the Van der Waals force can be applied to existing materials to give them self-healing properties. But we're not quite yet at the stage of getting my screen case or phone to repair itself after a scratch, but we're getting closer. And that's one of the exciting parts about self-healing materials. So let's say you've got a self-healing material. How do you assess just how good it is at protecting whatever it is it's meant to be protecting? And in the case of a self-healing style coating, like a clear coat that you might apply to your car, how do you assess whether that clear coat is actually protecting the paint or the metal underneath? Well, fortunately, researchers from the National Institute of Standards and Technology in the United States, NIST, have been for years coming up with ways to assess and analyze all the different materials out there that you could apply to your car as a paint or a clear coat to give it more resiliency. But in the journal paper published in Progress in Organic Coatings, researchers from NIST and industry partners, including Hyundai Miracle Technical Center, Anton Parr and Eastman Chemical Co., the researchers have outlined how you can actually assess and measure just how good a self-healing coating or protective coating can be. And not just looking at the top layer, the uppermost layer, but all the way down. 
This is designed to give manufacturers and developers a real clear understanding of the mechanisms so they can push their research in developing self-healing materials or coatings even further along. Now, at the moment, automobile manufacturers use two basic tests to see if their clear coating methods onto their cars are actually useful. The first one is really designed to measure the scratch resistance and look at how it's going to perform in the field. The main test is called the croc meter, and the other one is called the Amtec Kistler Car Wash. Now, the croc meter is basically a robotic finger moving backwards and forwards with varying degrees of force to mimic basically a human coming to in contact, or maybe contact from an abrasive surface. The Amtec Kistler car wash is basically a rotating wheel of brushes that's meant to simulate the impact of a repetitive car wash cycle in a machine on and how the clear coat or the coating actually performs under such weird circumstances. But the problem is both methods really only assess the performance based on appearance. It's a qualitative assessment, which can vary from test to test. It doesn't give you a real actual analysis on how effective it was, just if it's really passed or failed, which can be subjective at the time of the assessor. So the researchers at NIST developed a whole new test method that can actually characterize the scratch mechanism occurring on a molecular level. Because that's what you actually really want to understand. You want to understand the chemistry and physics to see if that coating that you've put in is any good, not just if you can see it or not. So for this method, the researchers first got a diamond-tipped stylus, and they tap it across the surface of the sample. And they do that to basically map the morphology of the surface, get a feel for it, like a reading to measure how it is at a starting point. They then undertake three different types of scratching. Nano, micro, and macro. What that means is what they're scratching with slowly increases in size, starting off at 10 to negative 9 meters all the way up to the macro level, a large-scale scratch. Then you can run the stylus back across and actually see what has taken place. Now this is pretty incredible because it's a lot smaller in size and scale than what has been done previously. The previous methods used scratches around 50 micrometers all the way up to 200 micrometers. But this one goes below one micrometer. So you're actually getting a really good insight into potential cracks that you can't see or can't easily assess. So now they're actually getting to observe what happens when your scratch-proof material, your self-healing polymer, is getting scratched by a very, very small thing. Because those small scratches can happen just by you moving your hand across a surface. Not something you'd think of typically as a large scratch in a car. But these can build up over time, causing issues. And this gives you a really good measurement of how tightly packed together the polymer components are. And how much they can reform themselves after such a scratch. So to develop a self-healing material, it's going to take not just really good chemistry and physics to develop and identify the process to make the industrial scale version of that production. But you also then need to have really clever engineering and science at the end of it to actually assess whether or not it's any good when applied to your car or to your phone case or you name it. So this is some great work being done by the National Institute of Standards and Technology, NIST, to try and identify ways to assess and measure the performance of self-healing materials. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. From testing and analysing self-healing materials to making new self-healing materials out of materials that we just have lying around all the time in different chemical plants. This week we found out a lot about self-healing materials. Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.